You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. <laughs> Today, we might be more affected doing the show at home more than ever with Doug having construction sounds all around him. So often, I actually have some noise going on here on North Davidson Street where I reside in the first ward, but you have tons of construction noise going around you, Doug. And uh, that should make it for a very interesting show is what everybody has had to deal with during the pandemic. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's presented by Built Bar. Use promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. As we do every week, we'll speak with Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer, and you can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thank you so much once again for the time. How are you? I'm great, guys. How are you? I hope you are too. Yeah, we are, Rick. We appreciate you joining us. I know that you've been busy because the Charlotte Observer has asked you to cover uh, a couple of different topics. You are usually the Charlotte Hornets reporter. There is no Charlotte Hornets basketball as it stands right now. And as it happens frequently, the Charlotte Observer has asked you to cover a couple of different topics. What are you working on as it stands right now? Well, uh, I actually did a story yesterday. Um, we we got a tip that um, a, a store employee at a Harris Teeter had tested positive for COVID. And obviously, you know, there's a whole lot of interest in that topic. Uh, Harris Teeter confirmed it. And um, wow, you know, the, you know, those sorts of things, that's information for the public that they really, really um, gobble up. Um, the other thing is tonight, uh, the NAACP ha- is uh, is holding a um, a demonstration outside the government center, and I have been asked to be one of the reporters who covers that. The Observer wisely um, sends people out in situations like that in pairs, um, just kind of, you know, for safety reasons, and I think that's a, a really good idea. Rick, have you ever covered anything like that before, what you're going to cover tonight? Um... I have been in situations where I was a little bit, you know, where, where I needed to be a lot more careful about my surroundings than normal, but I don't know if there's, I've never done anything quite like that. No. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here. Rick, we appreciate all the other coverage that you're giving us. We will transition to the Charlotte Hornets. And look, we are having a ton of different scenarios thrown at us as NBA fans about exactly how the NBA could return. It seems like the 22-team idea is gaining the most traction. It seems like that's the one that is the leader in the clubhouse. That would leave the Charlotte Hornets, given the stipulations regarding that plan, out of the postseason. Rick, I ask you, how detrimental would it be to the Hornets if they did not play competitive basketball until December, which is when presumably the following season would start at the conclusion of whenever this season would end? Wow. Nine months is an absurdly long span of time. Um, you know, so much has changed in the world that, you know, I think people probably may not realize that the last time they were together as a group was March 11th on the plane home from Miami. Uh, and, and remember guys, it's not like 
you know, it's not like there was a lockout where people have access, have had access to gyms and can go to, you know, you know, health clubs to lift weights or such. I mean, they have been truly out of pocket until just recently. And, and what they can do right now um, in the practice gym is also very, very limited appropriately for health concerns. That's forever. And I certainly think that um, there would be an argument to be made about how this lowers their risk of injury and by extension illness. But if I'm the NBA and I'm telling eight of the, of the 30 franchises that um, they're not going to be playing again in a, in a span from March to October, I mean, you know, to, to November before they even would start a training camp, I got to come up with all kinds of alternative options. Um, I would think that there would be mini camps. I would think that there would be very liberal rules, much more than the past about who would be allowed to participate in summer league. Now the the balance in that, is you want to create an, an opportunity for players to be in the gym without compelling them to be in the gym. And so, you know, that'll all have to be worked out with the union, but wow. Um, if I were the Hornets, particularly with a young team that was playing their best basketball right before the lockout, if I were um, Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego, I would be very, very concerned about that long a layoff. Yeah, I'm really interested uh, from the from the aspect of this team in in Charlotte that is developing a lot of a lot of young players and and how they can develop on their own versus how they can develop in a team practice environment versus how they can develop in actual game action. I, I, this is probably a better question for James Borrego, but I'm I'm sure maybe he's mentioned something around training camp about the value of getting these players actual playing time in a game. And I think the NBA has to consider that when, when they're trying to determine a plan for these teams that are not invited. You know, Doug, when you say that, I thought that that would be one of the advantages of the, you know, we don't know yet for sure, but it just looks like the wind's blowing in a direction where it's unlikely that the Hornets will be part of the group that plays again. I thought them being in some kind of a dynamic, even if it was unlikely that they would qualify for the playoffs, being in some kind of a, of a sprint, uh, being in some kind of a pool play tournament, something that created stakes, I thought that would be very good for them. Um, Steve Clifford used to talk all the time about how there is no substitute for playoff experience, that it is not something you can watch and absorb. Um I, I, I've talked to so many players in the past who have said to me, you know, you can hear about how much more intense playoff games are, but you don't really understand it until you play in one and you see how much more, how different it is from a regular season game, almost as different from between a regular season game and a preseason game. Um, it would have been really good for Devante and PJ and Miles to experience that of some degree. Um, but now they're getting none of that. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting the other day when, when Cody Martin was on a conference call with the people who regularly cover the team, you know, and I asked him what he was working on with, you know, one individual coach when he's on the court in the practice gym. And he made a point that I thought people need to hear. He said that, you know, they're kind of in a place right now where the team doesn't really know whether they're getting people back up to speed in case they play games or whether they're starting, whether they should start to work on off season stuff. And at least 
assuming that this is accurate, that Thursday the league's going to announce a decision, at least then you have some clarity on what you ought to be getting out of practice, out of out of time in the practice gym. Rick, are you one that would rather just have the 16 playoff teams as is go at it with a postseason tournament um, as it usually is scheduled? Or do you like the play in tournament with 20 teams, 22, whatever number that you would throw out there? What idea did you like the best that was thrown out there as regards to a potential startup? Well, by definition, compromises don't make anybody completely happy. And I would, you know, the thing when, when people say, you know, well, they ought to just start out with the playoffs. What that doesn't take into consideration is that would not have happened. At minimum, there would have been some sort of, you know, there would have been some scrimmages after training camp where the 16 teams um, would have, you know, some of them would have played each other just because you have to have something competitive, knock the rust off, and and practice wasn't going to be sufficient to do that. Um, I understand why they'd be reluctant to bring back all 30 teams because they were going to get into a dynamic where people were going to go through the motions and it was going to look, there was going to, there were going to be really some really bad optics. Um, if the Warriors showed up and did nothing, but basically play the end of their bench in their G league squad. Um, so I know from talking to a couple of coaches around the league, um, the, the, the compromise that they're striving for is something where, Everybody who does play games feels like there's something at stake. So I don't have a problem with what they're trying to get to. It's, you know, like everything, not only in the NBA, but in our whole society right now, we're just trying to make the best of bad situations. Rick, I did want to ask you before we get you out of here about Michael Jordan's statement regarding George Floyd's murder. And we had a conversation about Michael Jordan and his lack of involvement in politics after the last dance covered it in the documentary that everybody was paying attention to over the last month. We know that a part of the town that was poverty stricken. We know that he came out with a statement here. He, uh, we know that he came out with a statement and, and talked at Kobe Bryant's memorial. I mean, th- this is somebody that seems to be a little bit more open as he's gotten older. What did you make of that statement that he released as well as just how Michael Jordan has aged involving him, uh, himself a little bit more in some of the issues outside of the basketball court? You know, I think I've said several times before on, on, on this podcast that one of the things I've got, gotten to, to recognize about Jordan as an owner um, and just sort of Michael Jordan, the person is that I think the reason we hear from him very selectively is because he has a difficult time filtering himself. And that's, I, I, I like, I, I think that's good. I think it's authentic that people say, say what's really on their minds. And I think that he worries because of the, the weight of, of his name about, um, you know, talking from the cuff all the time. He doesn't, frankly, he just doesn't function the same way that say David Tepper with the Panthers does. Um, And I think that what he said Sunday when he said something is very indicative of that. He spoke um, with forceful words and straight from the heart and talked about anger and talked about, you know, not accepting this anymore. And um, that doesn't surprise me because, when I occasionally get to talk to him, he is, you know, he has, you know, he says what he really thinks. Um, I think he, I'm glad he said it. Um, I think it's the only African-American majority owner in the NBA. It is, you know, he, he should 
um, stake out a position on this, it, it, it doesn't particularly surprise me. That was Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer joining us here as he always does on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter with all the other working on at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, we really do appreciate you working on some of those other projects. And we also thank you for your time here on the podcast. Well, thanks, guys. It'll be it'll definitely be interesting on Thursday, not only, you know, what what the NBA has to say, but, you know, in the ensuing days, yeah. you know, Hornets have to say about how they're going to proceed going forward. Yeah, we'll get some more information. Perhaps we'll talk about an actual plan to start the NBA regular season. Rick, we thank you once again. Thank you. See ya. Great stuff from Rick Bennell, as always. You know what also is always great? It's Built Bar. It's the best tasting bar. It's real chocolate. They've got amazing flavors. I'm a huge fan at the intersection of chocolate and fruit. Give me the banana chocolate. Give me the orange chocolate. Great flavors. Kind of tastes like a candy bar, and it has great texture. So when you're at the end of your run, you get a candy bar rather than one of these dry bars that aren't really all that good tasting. Not only is Built Bar very good tasting, it has an amazing combination of low-calorie, high-protein, and low-sugar. No crazy additives either. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar, it is half the calories, seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and more protein. How can it be that good for you and taste that good? You have to try it for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off of your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. Again, that's LOCKEDON as the promo code. Doesn't matter if you space it or just mush it all together. Locked on to get $10 off of your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. And I want to tell you about one of the best apps that I have on my phone right now. It's certainly the most useful app that's on my phone. It's an ultimate life hack. It's a secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It is called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I'm getting kind of big into philosophy right now. I don't know why. I just want to know about the big things, uh, life, the universe, uh, the, the meaning of it all. So I've been using Blinkist to study some of that from Plato, from Kant. Uh, They've got all of these great nonfiction books on uh, Blinkist. So check it out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and you save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you're going to get 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. This is Locked on Hornets. Well, don't let, hold on, don't let me end my take on that because that's not what I mean. I don't mean that he shouldn't nope, be in the NBA. No, that's what you meant, and no, it's disrespectful. I mean that. You're Anthony Tolliver. I'm Trevion Graham. That's who I love. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I asked Rick about Michael Jordan's statement in response to George Floyd's murder, as well as the response to some of the protests that we've seen, not only just in Charlotte as it's affected this city, but all across the country outrageous people should be outraged about all of this and michael jordan somebody that actually contributed to the conversation here doug and came out with a statement and rick said 
this is somebody that is the only majority black owner within the NBA. And we can talk about the kind of duty that he has as a black owner in the NBA to con to, to, to contribute to this conversation. But he did come out with a statement that I thought was really thoughtful. I know you wanted to read. Yeah, I want to read this statement, and, and I thought we could take the rest of the segment to hear from uh, some other people around the organization and maybe played for the organization previously or had some powerful things to say about this because, honestly, like, I don't know about you, Walker, but in, in this time, I have really been wrestling with how much I should speak versus how much I should listen because I am angry. I am sad. I am uh, confused. I do. I want to act, um, and and so I, I think it would just be helpful just to read uh, and and voice these things that we we talk about. So here's Michael Jordan's statement: "I am deeply saddened, truly pained, and plain angry. I see and feel everyone's pain, outrage, and frustration. I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence towards people of color in our country. We have had enough." I don't have the answers, but our collective voices show strength and the inability to be divided by others. We must listen to each other, show compassion and empathy, and never turn our backs on senseless brutality. We need to continue peaceful expressions against injustice and demand accountability. Our unified voice needs to put pressure on our leaders to change our laws, or else we need to use our vote to create systemic change. Every one of us needs to be part of the solution, and we must work together to ensure justice for all. My heart goes out to the family of George Floyd and to the countless others whose lives have been brutally and senselessly taken through acts of racism and injustice. And that was Michael Jordan. What, what, what was some of your thoughts from that statement that come to your mind with some of the things that he wrote down, Doug. I agree with Rick. I think it was a, a deeply uh, personal message, and we've seen some messages from other organizations and people that have that have not seemed very personal. Um, and and there was some honest talk in there, and and I appreciate that. And, and I'll say this too: that I understand why you and I are having this conversation about Michael Jordan because he owns the team that uh, we cover. Um, but my question when I read this is, where are the white owners of NBA basketball organization? You've got Greg Popovich, coach of the San Antonio Spurs, speaking about as honestly as someone can speak, especially in a position of power, which he is in. And yet his organization is all, you know, silent. Um, where, where are, where are the, where are the other 31? I mean, I haven't checked with all of them, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody, maybe Mark Cuban has come out with a statement. I don't know, but it doesn't seem to be very prevalent. And, and that upsets me. Um, you know, I, that, that's when I read this, that, that's what I thought. Where, where, where is everyone else? Because, because that's when things change. When, when people, people in power and, and, and because, of uh, of uh, history and, and a lot of uh, systemic racism, a lot of the people in power don't look like Michael Jordan. Where, where are their voices saying, hey, we, we should probably change some things, both laws, economic inequality, things that actually lead to, to these kinds of things happening. Um, I want to see that conversation. So as of 7.30 yesterday, Tom Haberstroh tweeted out that the only two NBA teams who have not published an official statement on any kind on their Twitter account, the San Antonio Spurs and the New York Knicks. Now, the Spurs 
they might be okay because Greg Popovich speaks out about this constantly. Um, they did not put out a statement as a team, but I think we all know the side that Greg Popovich stands with considering his frequent, his frequent dialogue against not only police brutality, but racism in America. The, the New York Knicks have not put out a statement. Well, and then Pablo Torre, as Dan Levitard liked to joke, put on his journalism hat and actually got down to the bottom of something of a memo that James Dolan sent to people within the Knicks organization. And James Dolan writes, we know that some of you have asked about whether our company is going to make a public statement about the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. I want you to know. I realize the importance of this issue. Therefore, I want you to understand our internal position. This is a turbulent time in our country. The coronavirus and civil unrest have taken their toll on our way of life. We at Madison Square Garden stand by our values of a respectful and peaceful workplace. We always will. As companies in the business of sports and entertainment, however, we are not any more qualified than anyone else to offer our opinion on social matters. What's important is how we operate. Our companies are committed to upholding our values, which include creating a respectful workplace for all, and that will never change. What we say to each other matters, how we treat each other matters, and that's what will get us through this difficult time. So here are the New York Knicks as now the only team that have not put out a statement and you get an internal message to people within the organization from James Dolan that they don't plan to even do so. Now, here you have a team with a guy like Dennis Smith Jr., who is actively protesting in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Here you have a team with a player in Taj Gibson who is also actively protesting. How do they view the boss, the head honcho of all of this with James Dolan, being a guy ahead of that organization, deciding not to do anything, and literally being the only team that does not have any kind of statement out there whatsoever against police brutality. Because we did hear from Greg Popovich about this. Not an official team statement, but we did hear uh, from Greg Popovich about this. But we haven't heard from the New York Knicks. And so now we have to balance, okay, do we, would we rather have this from James Dolan? Or would we rather have some of these other team statements that might have been released, but don't really say anything when you take in the substance of it, which is another factor to consider. Either way, you can't leave this situation thinking James Dolan looks good by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I want neither. I want neither the PR bullshit, and I want and I don't want silence. Um, and I and I think that that opinion is is shared by uh, a lot of people that work for that organization. Don't don't get this confused. What what James Dolan is doing is cowardly. It's an abdication of uh, his position as a business leader within the city of, of New York and a very powerful business leader uh, at that. And that's the whole thing. When, when powerful business people make noise about something, policy moves. James Dolan is completely wrong about this in, in that when he says something, when his organization says something, when Michael Jordan says something, it actually matters because it moves governments. When, when business leaders have something to say on an issue. Um, what also moves governments? Voting. But we can't vote out James Dolan. It's important that those people use their voices in, in, in a positive way. Um, I've got some other things here to read from other well, members of the Hornets organization whenever you're ready. 
do we have time for a conversation? I would like to revisit Michael Jordan and his growth and in getting involved with politics. Do we have time for that? Or would you rather just go to these statements? From Let's other do moments? it. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you very much. I do find this interesting with what we were shown in the last dance documentary when we were reminded that Michael Jordan did not get involved publicly with any kind of verbal support of Harvey Gantt in that 1990 Senate race against Jesse Helms. I do want to get involved in that a little bit because in that statement, right, or in that conversation that we had with Michael Jordan because the last dance brought it back up, you know, Jesse Helms was just flat out racist as the senator racing against Harvey Gantt. And Michael Jordan still did not support Harvey. I had a problem with it. I didn't view it as a political statement. I viewed it as a right and wrong statement between the two candidates. And I, I think that's why I had a problem. I share the same feelings as you, Doug. As a white guy, I don't find it appropriate for me to tell black people how to protest one or how to call for change. I'm here to listen to that. And I'm here to also advocate that I want to damn change too. I felt uncomfortable with people asking Michael Jordan specifically to speak out on some of that stuff, but not asking Larry Bird. And that's something Bamani Jones talked about because Larry Bird is a white guy that had a lot of power in the NBA. There's a lot of white dudes that grew up loving Larry Bird because he was a white basketball player. Also one of the best of all time, but because he was a white basketball player, if that dude says something, then that might actually get to the kind of crowd that might like him. The only reason that I would question Michael Jordan about his lack of involvement in politics with that Senate race between Harvey Gann and Jesse Helms was the fact that I viewed it more of right and wrong. Man, when Jesse Helms, when they showed that footage in the last dance documentary of him winning and him saying there was no joy in Mudville that day, I, my jaw dropped to the floor. Like we did not even consider that even. We were talking more about Michael Jordan. There was no joy in Mudville running against the black guy. And so, okay, I had a little bit of a little bit of a problem with Michael Jordan not saying anything there. We have seen Michael grow a little bit more and and we've seen not a tweet about this, a friend of the podcast. But also, it's important to ask the white guys in power to advocate for a change and it echoes your sentiment Doug and the fact that we need to ask the other white owners in the NBA, all of the other owners besides Michael Jordan, the only one majority owner that is a black guy, we need to ask those other guys to also come out with a sincere statement, not just a statement to satisfy the PR values, a sincere statement against police brutality as it affects black America. Um, I think there, there is an allure to stay politically neutral to avoid red versus blue when you're trying to make green there is an allure to that that you either you either uh, accept or you reject um i think that the brutality of what we're seeing um in in video after video um in in in, uh, in person after person that is being um, uh, murdered um by uh extra extra judicially by the state um, is is forcing those that may want to stay politically neutral. It's forcing them into the action. And I'm not saying that this this is the case for Michael Jordan. You you have to make that judgment on your own. And and Michael Jordan knows whether or not that's the case. Uh, what I'm saying is that it, it's the images that you're seeing on TV. That they, they are um, they are a a demand that 
you cannot stay politically neutral, that you must, uh, because this isn't an, because this isn't an issue of politics. This is an issue of life. This is an issue so core and fundamental to what it means to be an American, to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness that is being, that is being systematically denied to a certain group of people. You cannot stay politically neutral about that. You cannot stay neutral at all about that. Um, and, um, uh, like I said, uh, now and on the radio, I- I'm glad that, that he spoke out. I'm glad that there are other people speaking out as well. Let's talk about the other statements made by the Charlotte Hornets players next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. I feel like Cody Martin is the perfect guy to go down there right now as much as anybody is. Yeah, you no, like I know, that yeah, no, I definitely. Sorry, Martin. I didn't know you were tossing me there. Yeah, I definitely, okay. I definitely think that. Was uh, that a me problem or you a problem? Were you just not listening, or was I just that I didn't set you up? Oh, I totally wasn't. Li- I wasn't listening to you okay. at all. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Doug, you have been working to gather some of the other statements made by either current Charlotte Hornets, people within the organization, and or former Charlotte Bobcats slash Hornets. Steven Jackson, Captain Jack, somebody that we love here, even though he played so little time in the city of Charlotte. I feel like most of our fans love Steven Jackson with the things that, that he did for the Charlotte Bobcats, being a guy that was a part of that first ever playoff appearance for the Charlotte Bobcats afterwards. We know how closely tied he is to the floor, uh, the uh, the uh, George Floyd situation that's going on right now, the George Floyd murder, to be exact about it. Uh, what have uh, been some of the statements that you found from some of those people linked to the Charlotte Hornets? Uh, assistant coach Ronald Norred on Twitter saying, I've been silent on Twitter for over two years. It's time to break my silence. And uh, his uh, attachment is a note, and the note reads, One of my best friends is a white police officer, and he started a dialogue with me and other friends to discuss racism in our country as well as policing. We've had real deep discussions about race. He and my other white friends asked questions to see how I'm feeling and to better understand all this from someone who is black. Lastly, we discussed all that's happening in the light of being a Christian. This is a broken world who Jesus died and rose again to save. As Christians, we have a responsibility to pray for the Holy Spirit to move in our country. I also must say I am thankful in the way that my friend serves and protects as a police officer. I pray for him, his family, and his safety. I told him I love him, and I am grateful that he began a conversation. I don't have all the answers, but know this. Change begins in the way my best friend approached it with empathy to understand and having real conversations. Uh, You also had uh, Devontae Graham and Miles Bridges uh, retweeting. Um, a lot of statements and a video as well as Terry Rozier tweeting and y'all thought running from the cop emoji was a sport to us whole time running for our lives. I want to read uh, the words from Steven Jackson, who, as Walker said, was um, who knew George Floyd, called him uh, his twin. And um, I have it in front of me, Doug, if you want grieving. me to go ahead and read it. Go ahead. Yeah, if I'm here, uh, he Stephen Jackson says, quote, I'm here because they're not going to demean the character of George Floyd, my twin, as he was nicknamed by Stephen Jackson. Jackson told supporters, quote, a lot of times when police do things, they know that's wrong. The first thing they try to do is cover it up and bring up their background to make it seem like the bullshit that they did was worthy. When was murder ever worthy? Stephen Jackson asked. Quote, but if it's a black man, it's approved. You can't tell me when that man has his knee on my brother's neck, 
taking his life away with his hand in his pocket, that that smirk on his face didn't say, quote, I'm protected. You can't tell me that he didn't feel that it was his duty to murder my brother and that he knew he was going to get away with it. You can't tell me that wasn't the look on his face as we all were left with that kind of look at his face. I end quote there as we uh, all were left with that kind of look on his face as that disgusting video was shown to us. Doug, um, some of the takeaways maybe that you have from some of these statements. Uh, well, we selected uh, we selected these names because uh, they have some association uh, with our organization or um, or the Locked On Podcast Network. Um, but I would encourage you uh, to you know continue to listen to um, other people on this issue. Um, your your friends, your neighbors, uh, continue these conversations. Ask them how they feel about this. Uh, continue to learn uh, as much about um, the roots of what's going on here and um, find ways uh, small and large to work in your own community uh, to try to ensure that um, that this kind of an injustice uh, doesn't continue in our country because that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I, I hate that. I think we're both pressured by the the time that we have with this podcast. There's so much more restrictions that still are in place as we try to put out these episodes. And so I'll leave with this. Yeah, absolutely. There is a responsibility put more on white people right now to act as much as anything. Black people have done a ton to ask us for our help. And it's time for white people to show some kind of change to listen, empathize and change. We can talk about this a little bit more maybe tomorrow as we will continue to give you a couple more episodes this week on the Locked On Hornets podcast. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA, Chad Ford's Big Board, Hollinger and Duncan, all of those podcasts. Have a great day and we will see you back again tomorrow. 